Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. To my successor, whoever he or she may be. Number one, stay close to the Americans, stick up for the Ukrainians, stick up for freedom and democracy everywhere. Politics in general has taken total legal defenses. Changing one man at the top of the Tory party won't make any difference. It won't fix the problems. Let's have a fresh start for Britain. Let's have a real change of government. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics, your daily guide to the corridors of power. I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up on today's programme, as the price of goods in shops rises at the fastest pace in 17 years, we hear from the former Deputy Governor of the Bank of England, Charlie Bean. Plus, we'll be counting down to the end of the Tory leadership race with our reporter, Lizzie Burden. But first, Boris Johnson's days in number 10 rapidly coming to an end as we get the result of the leadership contest, of course, on Monday. Despite fierce criticism that he hasn't acted in recent weeks on the cost of living crisis, the outgoing Prime Minister is insisting that he isn't leaving behind a country that's broken. Uh, Yes, it is absolutely true that because of uh, Putin's war in Ukraine, uh, we have pressures on the cost of living. But we have the financial strength to get through them. And what we are also doing is making sure that we have the the long-term British energy supplies that we need to get our people through. So Boris Johnson, that's an extract of an interview that he gave earlier on today. Um, he kind of struggled a bit in it, honestly, to talk about his legacy. Like, he was he was speaking outside a police station, so he did talk about policing. Yes. But he didn't really have an awful lot else to say in terms of what he did as Prime Minister. Now, it was, it did... Well, hang on, defenders will, will simply point to the vaccine rollout... Well, exactly, uh, but... The- ...and the war in Ukraine and, and those sorts of obvious things. But yes, perhaps, I mean, this farewell tour, as it was dubbed... Um, yeah, perhaps lacking a bit of energy. Yeah, it certainly was. It, it was a, a not characteristic performance, I think we can mm. say, from Boris Johnson. Well, perhaps look, his mind is elsewhere already. Yeah, perhaps it is. On what he may do uh, after his prime ministership. I mean, yes, there's lots of talk about whether he will return for another run. Uh, and then you have people like Rory Stewart, of course, who went up against him for Tory leadership back in 29, really putting the boot in, saying that he lost um, you know, his job because he was a terrible prime minister, in Rory Stewart's words, and he lost his job because of deep flaws of character and yet what do other prime ministers do when they go write their memoirs yeah. uh, you know in the shed as Cameron did or uh, well, create a foundation but like Tony Blair true and or Theresa May being a very you know prominent backbencher as well I suppose still playing a role in politics as well and he does say that his intention is to to return as a, to stay as a backbencher so uh, there you go plenty of options ahead for Boris Johnson we've got our economics and government correspondent Lizzie Burden with us in studio as well Lizzie interesting to hear Boris Johnson say the UK has the financial resilience to deal with the cost of living crisis does it? Uh, well, he's always said that the future of the UK is golden. I wouldn't expect anything other than a tiggerish view of the future. Uh, it depends how they re- reform the city post-Brexit. It depends how the next Prime Minister handles the economy, given that the Bank of England is seeing a recession on the horizon. It hasn't got much choice but to hike interest rates again and again uh, and to inflict this pain on the economy. So I'd, uh, I'd say that he's probably being a bit optimistic 
there. You asked about what Boris Johnson's going to do after yes. after this. I think he's going to find the US speaker circuit very lucrative, especially given that the Republicans think of him as baby Trump. And that might be very good at funding his wife's taste in gold wallpaper. Oh, Okay, I like that comment, <laughs> Lizzie Burton, with a little swipe at uh, the wife of the Prime Minister. Okay, um, look, what about, I mean, so he, yes, his, his time in office ending in perhaps a bit of a, uh, of a whimper. Um, having said that, the in-tray for the next Prime Minister is utterly groaning. The former Bank of England Deputy Governor, Charlie Bean, was in the studio with us this morning. We're going to bring you the full interview um, later on. But he was very sceptical about Truss's tax cut plans. He said he did see recession coming. We spent quite a lot of time talking about how long, how deep, and that there would need to be a lot more government support for households. So, you know, if it is Liz Truss, and, and Charlie Bean was talking very much about it being uh, Liz Truss, uh, then there's there's a, a lot to do, a lot of spending to be done. Yeah, he said that he's worried that Liz Truss's tax cuts aren't targeted. He said that the UK can stomach a large but short-lived deficit, but if it for even longer, uh, then it's probably more unsustainable. By which I think he means uh, that it's it's if you have tax cuts to try and support people, that's more of a permanent thing. Whereas if you do short-term handouts, mm. then it's less of a risk uh, in terms of the UK's res- reputation uh, as being fiscally disciplined. And this is what Rishi Sunak was referring to in that interview with the FT uh, today. Yeah, uh, He referred to Mark Carney talking about the UK's reliance on the kindness of strangers uh, to fund its deficits. And so... Uh, you know, if people lose faith in in Britain's economic credibility, it's going to be harder to keep yeah. on funding the borrowing. Well, and one of the threads of thought I think around this that's really interesting is this idea that for one, you need to have a more long term prime minister in place, you know, so that you don't lose that sort of credibility. I mean, we did tot up its four prime ministers in the last six years. Yeah, and you know that sort of change can't be good for when you're trying to inspire confidence in markets at a very difficult time for the. UK as well. Another big issue uh, that we know that there's going to be on that in-tray, of course, energy, uh, the windfall tax, a policy already in place. But a Bloomberg scoop today estimating that UK gas and electricity producers may make excess profits totalling as much as £170 billion over the next two years. Are we going to see a big new debate, Lizzie, about the windfall tax? Well, this is a big scoop. I've just first of all got to take my hat off to Alex Wickham and Todd Gillespie for this one. It really puts pressure on whoever is the next Prime Minister to either, or both, increase the windfall tax that's already on oil and gas producers but potentially extend it as well to include power generators. Truss has repeatedly ruled out a windfall tax. She says that it creates the wrong message to investors. Mm. Uh, But then Kwasi Kwarteng as well, the guy who's tipped to be her chancellor, has said that he's opposed to them on principle. So it doesn't look likely that she would do this. Uh, But by these figures, if the current rate of windfall tax, 25%, were continued, it would rake in tens of billions of pounds for the Treasury, which could be spent on helping people through the energy crisis this winter. And we know that their bills are set to triple from the point they were at this time last year. 
Yeah, and I also think it's interesting, how are voters going to take this? Um, because we're on the last day of August. It feels, um, you know, both like an eternity, but also quite a short time of six weeks of this kind of intensive hustings. Lots of navel gazing by the Conservative Party. But now we're going to get basically a new prime minister and lots of new thinking around, you know, the, the crisis in the UK. Goldman Sachs talking about... 22% inflation in the coming months. I mean, we've just gone up and up and up in terms of the estimation of inflation. And voters are highly sensitive and aware of this. Yeah, up and up and up. The BOE had seen 13%, then City said 18%. Now you've got this 22%. And to put it into context, the retail price index hit 26% in 1975 because of the oil shock. So this, if it came true, would be approaching that level. But the oil shock only lasted a few weeks. Yeah. And remember, we had all these questions about whether this was like the 1970s and officials always responded, look, this will be a high peak, but it won't last as long. And yet what the, this forecast, even if it's an aggressive one, what it shows is that the peak for inflation might probably be later and last longer. And that's what's painful. You know, you talked about Rishi Sunak in the, the Financial Times today and this whole issue of confidence in the markets. This is a bit of a, it feels like a bit of a last ditch attempt from Rishi Sunak to have an impact on this race at all. He's preaching to the choir, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, telling, I think all FT, most FT readers would probably uh, agree with his economics, right? Uh, if he, but regardless of whether he's economically right, the trust, uh, the trust is trying to appeal to the grassroots conservatives and the polling shows that she's doing that successfully uh, so far. Sunak's been warning that Truss's tax cuts could drive up borrowing costs if markets lose faith in the British economy. And as I said before, if the Tories lose their reputation for fiscal discipline, he says in this article that they'd lose one of their biggest advantages over Labour. But really, there's a brilliant Bloomberg editorial about this on the terminal today um, about what Caroline, you said it's mm. navel gazing. Uh, mm. Really, what's needed, says this editorial, is a longer term strategy focused on, and I'm quoting, energy security, decarbonisation, and economic growth. We, we all we all know that the candidates tend to campaign in poetry, govern in prose. Be interesting to see how much everything changes when we know who's actually going to be in number ten. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine, isn't it, that the difficulties for the UK economy have just gotten bigger after a pandemic, like the biggest crisis in 100 years, it's sort of, to me, I've, I still feel like I have to stand back and think that this is pretty staggering. You know, we thought there was going to be a massive recession that was swerved by a lot of government spending. Anyway, do you think we're going to hear anything different? Because, of course, there is the 12th and final husting taking place in London this evening. What I, I, yeah. I want to know what, what if, if fantasy host Lizzie Burden, if you were, <laughs> if you were doing this, what, what was, what's the question you'd be really trying to get an answer to? If you were hosting the hustings. For me, and this might be an age thing, but I think a huge crisis in Britain right now is the housing market. If you want to buy a home, you're pretty much, I don't know if I can say this on this podcast, screwed. Uh, And you've had both Liz Truss saying that she wouldn't commit to the 300,000 new homes a year target. Rishi Sunak saying that he wouldn't build on the green belt. It's this shortage of housing that has consistently propped up house prices. So on the one hand, how are the candidates going to prevent a crash in house prices? And on the other hand, how are they going to help people who are desperate to get on the property ladder? Because of course that competition in the rental market Mm. is driving up rents uh, and it's 
adding yeah. to the cost of living crisis, making this a vicious cycle. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I mean, any of my friends who are under the age of 40, you know, you, you can draw a red line of, of, and it is generational, those mm. who can buy or perhaps, you know, rent a decent uh, place and those who can't. And the knock-on effect, as you say, through the rental market, something that, you know, it means that you can often find people unable to save because their rents are mm. so high and that comes down to the supply issue and the issues further up chain as well. And typically the Conservative Party normally laser focused on the housing market. Yeah, we've had the pandemic stamp duty holiday, the help to buy scheme. They usually prop up the housing market. Yeah. Uh, so when, but when you've got all the money being pumped into tax cuts or as Liz Truss calls them, handouts, what will be left? Lizzie, so interesting. Lizzie Burden, though, our economics and government correspondent with her top question for the hosting. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody including sitting presidents so join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're going to do it our way listen to our way on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts success is more than a destination it's a path you take one step at a time it's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. 
Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Buble's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything. Everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before, tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, the next British Prime Minister faces a daunting task, steering the UK as the economy is expected to go into a prolonged recession. Yeah, the cost of living crisis, workers striking for higher pay and an inflation rate that Goldman Sachs says could hit 22%. But how bad a recession could it be? Well, earlier, Tom McKenzie and I were speaking to Sir Charlie Bean, Professor of Economics at the London School of Economics, of course well known as the former Bank of England Deputy Governor for Monetary Policy, also a member of the Budget Responsibility Committee at the OBR. We asked him whether he thinks a recession is looming for the UK. Clearly, it's a pretty challenging environment. We've had this very large, predominantly external shock associated with uh, the war in Ukraine and its implications for both energy and uh, food prices. Um, And on top of that, uh, the UK labour market was already pretty tight at the start of uh, this year. Uh, So the economy would have had to cool a bit anyway uh, to take that on board even without the external shock um, so I uh, the best you could hope for is a period of very subdued or stagnant growth. five quarters but, of contraction well you can have something that's much deeper and shorter or uh, shallower and um, longer um, and we'll see what uh, comes out and the key thing I would want to stress you, uh, listeners obviously want predictions yes. and the sort of environment that we have here uh, there is so much uncertainty about particularly what will happen in the Ukraine and to gas prices and so forth uh, that that makes it especially precarious trying to make hard and fast predictions. But, so do you think it's going to be shallow and long or deeper and shorter? Um, if anything, I would think it would be deeper and actually perhaps longer than some people fear. In particular, uh, I think it may take more 
to squeeze uh, inflationary pressures, domestically generated inflationary pressures, uh, out of the UK. Uh, what we're seeing is um, people in uh, the labour market, uh, union bargainers, so forth, responding to the very high inflation by saying, you know, we want to be protected uh, and we want wage increases. And because the labour market's tight, they're more likely to be able to push for that. Um, and inevitably, to lean back on that, that means the bank will have to keep policy tighter for longer. And I, and I do think people have underestimated the extent of real wage resistance that we may see. This was something that was important in the 70s, mm. uh, with people trying to protect their living standards. A lot of focus on inflation expectations, but it's this response to what is already happening, the squeeze, uh, which I think people have underestimated its uh, significance. So you think there is a higher risk of a deep recession? You think there's an underestimation of the risks around the stickiness of wages, the increase of wages, g- given that need for workers uh, to, to see higher pay packages to compensate for that very high inflation. Where does that leave your view then on rates, peak rates from the Bank of England? Well, again, exactly where rates yes. go depend on all these uh, highly uncertain uh, events, uh, particularly what happens in Ukraine, what's happened to gas prices, stuff like that. So I'm very loath to say, you know, four percent is the peak or whatever. But I do think it's plausible to think rates may have to go somewhat higher and for somewhat longer than perhaps people are, uh, are factoring in. Well, now we, we four seventy five th- is where the markets are pricing the kind of peak, four point seven five percent. I mean that may be a, a perfectly plausible outcome. Uh, but we shouldn't rule out higher outcomes, possibly. We may be lucky. We may get away with something lower. As far as the bank is concerned, um, th- this is a sort of time and they shouldn't be indulging in forward guidance. Uh, they, they really don't know where they're going to end up. And they have to respond to how things are developing uh, on the ground. Mm. We did during the pandemic, just as governments do during wartime. Do we have the fiscal space to do that? I think we have the fiscal space for temporary borrowing. What worries me uh, about Liz Truss's um, proposals uh, during the campaign, whether what she'll go through with, of course, is another matter. But she is talking about a permanent reduction in, uh, in taxes relative to what was planned. Uh, by removing the uh, increase in national insurance, which, remember, was to pay for an increase in health and social care spending, I mean, the corporate tax increase. Um, They're intended to be permanent. And uh, the uh, public finances are highly unlikely to have room uh, to, uh, to allow for that permanent uh, increase in... Uh, uh, tax support that's being provided. That, that's very interesting on the fiscal headroom. In terms of the help then for, for households, can we put some numbers around it? For example, Blanche Flower, Lord Sicker and Sheffield Professor Murphy have argued in the FT today that it's quite likely that the further £200 billion will be necessary in the coming year if the meltdown of the economy is to be avoided. What sort of figure would you put on it? Well, I mean, £200 billion is a lot. Um it goes back to what I said before. A lot depends on what happens to gas prices, so how long the support needs to be in place. But we are certainly talking 
orders of magnitude which are similar to the support that was provided during the pandemic. So the furlough scheme, for instance, cost 70 billion. Uh, there was also support for businesses and so forth. So something uh, at least in the hundred uh, makes sense billion. to me. Yeah. Um, but as I say, I, you know, I think that is uh, uh, certainly part financeable through the markets, providing it's clearly temporary and, and understood to be temporary. And that, I think, is a, uh, a key challenge for the government coming in, that it has to credibly make its fiscal actions and temporary. And is that where you... Is that where there's concern around the market reaction? So if they if they make it clear that this response is temporary in nature, as you would advocate, versus longer term, that is less of a risk in terms of the markets turning on the UK economy. We had Sunak coming out today saying that Liz Truss's proposals risk uh, the markets, you know, essentially turning on the UK economy, looking at the UK economy as a basket case. I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> but is <laughs> is that the is there a real concern at this point? Yes, I I, I think that's right. It, if you have uh, a policy response which is temporary in response to this shock, I think market participants understand why you're doing it um, and providing uh, you're committing to responsible uh, fiscal policies after the shock has passed, uh, getting the debt to GDP ratio back down slowly, that uh, has an entirely sensible plan. Uh, I think the problem with um, uh, Liz Truss's plans at the moment, aside from the fact that what she's suggesting doesn't really direct support at those people who need it most, the poorer households and so forth, um, is, as I say, this, uh, this permanence, and it's not of obviously the, the scale either. Um, now, uh, if market participants start doubting the mm. commitment of the government to running fiscal, fiscally responsible uh, policies in the medium term. If you also couple it with suggestions, again, to review the mandate of the, the Bank of England, and uh, not going to look at uh, an Office of Budget Responsibility forecast and so well, on, it, yeah. it starts raising questions about the institutional framework within which uh, policy is being made. And that those seem to me exactly the sort of environments where investors might, might start saying, well, I'm not so sure the UK is such a good place uh, to put my uh, investments anymore, uh, as opposed to um, plenty of the other countries around the world where mm. they could do it. So I do think there is a, a risk there. I, I want to kind of tie in a lot of your thoughts around uh, the BOE's response, the fiscal response, into what's happening with the pound, which is down about 14% year-to-date mm. against the US dollar at 116, and some FX strategists say 115, maybe even one, maybe even parity by the end of the year. How concerned should the BOE be, particularly as we see yields, gilt yields up, pound down, uh, around the prospects of sterling and a, a potential sterling crisis? Uh, well, it's certainly something they need to uh, factor into their assessment of the inflation outlook. And there's quite a lot of um, uh, general sort of chit-chat along the lines of, well, this is an external shock that the bank can't do anything about. Um, raising interest rates is not going to affect energy prices and so forth. A lot of people forget that one of the most direct channels through which monetary policy affects inflation is through the exchange rate. Now, some of the weakness of sterling 
uh, obviously reflects actually the strength of the dollar, which has been strong against uh, uh, many currencies and tends to play a, uh, a role of a, a safe haven during, during bad times. But some of it, I think, also reflects uh, growing doubts about the UK's prospects and uh, policies. And uh, I think for the, for the MPC, they will certainly be very conscious of the importance of not letting sterling fall uh, sharply. And that uh, will weigh quite heavily, I think, in their, uh, uh, their coming decisions. So that was Sir Charlie Bean speaking about recession, energy prices, how the next Prime Minister and the Bank of England should deal with all of the UK's challenges. So we also have, coming up later, of course, the last Conservative Party hustings happening in Wembley Arena in London. LBC's Nick Ferrari hosting that one. Uh, the last chance for Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak to face off. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.